This episode of Roderick on the Line is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. This month, they asked Seth Boyer to help me say hi to John. John! Hello. Hi, John. How's it going? Good. How are you going? I'm going great. I'm always checking my audio levels mm-hmm. and delivering packets. Merlin, man. Delivering packets. Pow. Mm-hmm. Ah, zap. You sound like you're really awake. Well, you know, Merlin, what I've been doing uh, is I've uh, been looking at my Facebook. Oh, how's that going? It's pretty... It's a mixed bag, I gotta say. Any photos it's, of kids? Uh, you know, that's funny because I, I understand the appeal, right? I, I, uh, every time I go on Facebook, which is to say once a week, I see lots of fascinating links to very interesting articles, some of them genuinely interesting, and I, and I go down the Facebook hole and I get in there and <laughs> see the things and, uh, and I, I answer all the Facebook messages that I get uh, from people that probably could have just emailed me. Yeah. <laughs> and I accept the 15 friend requests that have piled up since I was there last. And then I go, uh, and then I shut it all down. <laughs> I turn the lights out. <sighs> and um, and I get it. I get why it's there. And I get, I get a lot of, I get it. I get it. But I, mm-hmm. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a hater. Mm-mm. But um, but it's again sort of not not it's not where I live. You love seeing people just be happy with their stuff. Yeah, that's right. I'm a guy who likes other people to just be happy with their stuff. Hakuna Matata. Yes, the Namaste Shokaran. Could you ever have seen yourself twenty years ago, not only having something in your life called friend requests, but but Mm -hmm. that's something that you just have to deal with on a regular basis. I think I did. I think I did. <laughs> <laughs> I think I knew that was coming. Uh, uh, the thing that that uh, infuriates me is people who don't put pictures of themselves uh, in their stuff. Mm. You know, like like uh, you mean like as a, as like a profile picture? No, uh, I think I think I think what it is is that yeah, and Instagram is like this, and Facebook too. Like there are people who are um, who are genuinely working as photographers who use those things to uh, showcase some of their photography. And I, not, I don't mean just professionally, but like this is their, their sandbox. Where it's, they, their, uh, it's their platform. As they yeah, say. where they, they play around and they're taking pictures of other things. Um, but then there are just a lot of people who are on there, and I don't mean taking pictures of their food, but like doing art, artsy pictures of, their, of plants. And pictures of their dog and empty park benches. Yeah, this type of thing. And after a while, and I and I approve of all that. But every you know, every fifteen to twenty pictures, you ought to post one of yourself. Mm. You ought to take a selfie and put put it on there. Because maybe maybe you should have to. <laughs> maybe it should be in the terms and conditions. Well, it's like if clocking in at work. We got to know that you're here. You know. Yeah. Well, and also like all of these things are meant are ultimately meant as um, as personal profiles right now who is going to go on uh, because because i mean if you if 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 all you think of if the only people following your instagram account are your friends 
and they are, you know, uh, looking at pictures of of uh, plants that you took. I don't I don't understand why you're there, right? The whole the whole premise is that a stranger is going to be interested in a post that you posted that got forwarded somewhere else and follow it back to there and then start following you, somebody that you don't know. That's why any of us have more than 15 followers. Mm-hmm. And so when that person then follows you and is interested in your views and interested in your the look of, uh, uh, interested in your aesthetic, then that person legitimately and understandably becomes interested in you. Mm. And then they want to see a freaking picture of you. Mm-hmm. And so You're right that that's there are there are relatively few there are pictures who take not but photos of oneself and then there are people who very rarely photograph themselves and I have to say there seems to be uh, a concomitance with getting older like maybe you don't want your meat beard out there five times a day yeah but that's the thing of just like get you know get over your meat beard it's you gotta you gotta <laughs> put it there. Because, you have a beard-shaped face. Live with because it. Because we're looking at each other. It's the whole, I mean, it's social networking. We are looking at each other. And all the time, I'll, 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 I'll see some interesting thread. I'll go there. I'll be like, oh, I like these pictures. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. And then when I get to, like, picture 50 and I've seen no selfie, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Do mm-hmm. you really think that your pictures fucking matter? I mean, do you really think that we're here to see pictures of flowers and whatever well, else? Definitely, like, it's a kind of performance. And part of that performance has got to be, even if it's just like a picture of you reflected in the in the window of a shop that you're taking a picture of, like a little something, a little sign that you are that you are here with us, here with the mm-hmm. rest of us. I'll tell you what I notice. Uh, I'm not on Instagram. I'm not on the Facebook, but I do take pictures. And when I look over, well, first of all, obviously, because of having a phone with a camera, I do a lot of take pictures of funny signs just because I thought it was funny. I don't, don't always post it. You but, do you know. that. You do that. Yes. Well, yeah. But like, you know, there's a lot I don't post. I'm, I'm a curator. Uh, a curator. I'm very editorial, as they say. <laughs> you are. But, but you know what? I, you know what I wish we had more of? Like, I, I, I think we have. And I've taken a fair number of pictures of my kid. Uh, at first, well, I'll just say it. We do not have that many pictures of our family together. Yeah. We take pictures of the kid. Uh, we take pictures of the kid and one of us. But we don't – also, my wife's not a big fan of being photographed, nor my daughter. But uh, it's but it's funny because, like, I look at family photos from my childhood, and there's a lot of photos of the fa- – like, posed pictures where we all took a photo together. And we don't – I don't feel, I feel like there's – maybe it's just me, but I feel like there's not as much of that as there used to be, especially given the raw tonnage of photos that are being taken. Yeah. Do, do and, you have many of those of the family unit? Well, we make it. We make a point, you know, to uh, – every once in a while, and I mean, we did, it, we did it just yesterday. We were all together on a ferry boat, and we were taking pictures of the – waves and taking pictures of the birds and taking pictures of the baby looking at the waves and the birds taking pictures of the misspellings that's right (laughs) taking pictures of the hilarious sign on the men's room door (laughs) and then it was like oh wait a minute let's stop and take a picture of ourselves together and we did it selfie style but here we all are and 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 the reason that we do it is because when you look back at the pictures from three years ago um all those like men's room door and bird pictures are 
made a hundred times more interesting if there's a picture of you in there to locate the time and place and show the show the gray in your beard and show how much the baby's grown and et cetera, et cetera, right? Like like if you if you if you're not if you're not marking time with the one thing that we actually care about, which is our ourselves. Our, well our lives, right? <laughs> yeah, I yeah. mean yeah, it's, it's, it's very, it is very, it's very different because, like, again, it used to cost money to take pictures, right? You got to buy the film, you got to get it processed. You couldn't mm-hmm. just take pictures of everything unless your kid got the camera and went crazy or something. But there's yeah. definitely been such a huge shift. I mean, think about now. I mean, like, on the one hand, the stuff people post is more about like what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. You think about, you know what I mean? Like, if I look at on people on Tumblr, is the closest thing I have to Instagram, and it's a lot of you know stuff like funny signs or here's my food or whatever. But you know, it's it's a way of saying is the shot that you chose, the thing that's in it, how you shot it. It's kind of made to be posted, and it's made to be uh, uh this is what it's like to be me in some ways. Yes, exactly. That's exactly right. And and the idea the idea that that a selfie is like egotistical is so hilarious to me because really it's the idea that anybody gives a fuck about your pictures at all. That's egotistical. Like <laughs> you, your picture of a bird or a flower or a manhole cover is something that we should celebrate mm. because, because you framed it uh, in a, in your phone. Like, no, we, the only thing that's interesting about us is that we are alive and alive for a short time. Mm-hmm. Right. And if we were, if we all lived forever, None of this would be interesting. No one would take a picture of a single fucking thing because it would be like, yeah, right, right. Like I saw it. Right, trees grow, try, trees live and die, and we are still here. So uh, I don't need to see a picture of the past. But the thing, the thing uh, yeah, yeah. The but only thing that's interesting about the past is that is that we are that we are finite. But but you know the other thing is think about like how different that is. Even the photos that I would take with my old crummy camera, like our show art, uh, with the old crum, crummy camera on my old crummy phone. Like you think about like what's changed, and now like it doesn't cost anything except for the space on your phone to take a photo. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 economical to the point of almost being free. Other big difference. Um, we get to see how it turned out and maybe take 15 photos of the same thing, mm-hmm. but also kind of along the lines of our last episode where we talked about, you know, what, wh- what you post and what people say about it. I'm kind of meticulous about what I leave out of photos now, way more than I used to be. Right. I'm much less likely just cause I, even if I'm not planning to post it, there's still some part of me that's like, oh, I don't want that mess in the photo. Right. Or, or I don't, you know what I mean? There's dirt on this table. I never would have thought of that when I was a kid. There's so many great, some of my favorite photos. There's a photo of my parents, my, my dad smoking a cigarette, of course, my mom smoking a cigarette, of course. And she's just walked up to him at the table and they've done something playful and now she's giving him a hug. And the, that's awesome. I treasure that photo. But also, it's just all the shit in the background that's awesome. Yes. It's like it's a kitchen in a house where people live. There's an old school Coke can from the 1970s that just looks awesome. Yes. And, you know, it's got that, all that kind of ugly shit that every family had in their house. Dumb dishes, you know, uh, unclean kitchen. And it's, it's delightful. And I, I would be, I have to say, a little bit reluctant to take that photo today. And I, I'm only partly confident about why that is. Do, do you feel such things? Do you, do you, do you think about a lot about, it sounds like you're more free, freewheeling about what you photograph. No, I mean, I, I'm very, I'm very uh, aware of the frame. 
But I always try to include something in the frame that that adds that context that you're saying. You know, a, a, like a car or a um, all the stuff that you think of as as like garbage, extraneous ephemera. footage, ephemera, but that is really the thing that 15 years from now you're going to look back and go, oh my god, I remember that car. Yeah, at my grandparents' house, there's a picture of their their ugly AMC in the um, in the in the driveway, which is fun to see that yeah. ugly old AMC. Well, my grandfather had an AMC dealership, a Nash and AMC dealership. Uh, wait a and, minute, yeah. Are you kidding me? No, no, I'm pretty your, sure your grandfather had a Nash and he AMC. Might worked, he might have worked at it, but we were we were automobile people at one point. I did not know that, and after all this time to discover something that interesting. Well, there you go. This is when AMC meant something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but what's great about that photo is the stuff that was not meant to be in the photo, which is I go, oh, look at that. I see grandma's rose garden. Yep. I can see it must be, well, I think mostly yeah, it was holidays. Holidays, my grandfather would always put the flag out and seeing their front porch and how it was arranged at that time. That's like that. All, that stuff is all like, that's the best part of it. That's what makes the photo so great, you know? Well, and... Yeah, so I so I feel I feel like I mean I have a lot of I I have a lot of friends that post a lot of pictures that fall into the you know <laughs> the the coffee table book category yeah, right where where like twenty years ago they went into a Barnes and Noble and found a Tashin published book on uh, on fire hydrants in America someday I will take photos of birds on wires yeah and then they, then they they they're out with their camera and they're like I want to do this I want to do something like this and they develop a theme they're like I'm the person that takes pictures of uh you know manhole covers or whatever and and I have a friend who has a who has a uh, a blog called street seats and all she does is take pictures of chairs that people have left on the side of the road <laughs> And it's wonderful because the chairs are very evocative and it's a very, it's a, you know, the, the limitations. I contribute to one that's nothing but mattresses. Mattresses, on right. On the street, inspired by my friend uh, John Gruber, who every time he sees one, he says to his kid, want to take a nap? <laughs> now I do it with my kid. <laughs> but, but ultimately, like, uh, ultimately, you know, you want some of the character of the curator in there that's that's and i think more and more now the idea of like that journalists are invisible and that the that they're writing in in the omniscient and uh, and dispassionate voice and that curators are invisible and the work speaks for itself and all this i feel that is less and less convincing now hmm. and that there never was a there never was a journalistic voice that was, you know, that was completely objective. And to continue to pretend is maybe doing us a disservice, that there is a way to be, to, to strive for objectivity, but have a subjective voice at the same time. And yeah. that is, you know, that is that, that the voice can be personal, but that the thoughts are still uh, still striving to be a, as objective as possible, hmm. and you can have because there are tons of tons of examples of people where the voice is very objective, but the thoughts are incredibly subjective. Anytime you read the Wall Street Journal, you see like the the 
the objective voice masks what is ultimately a very pointed worldview, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the that's the failure of the of the objective journalist. Well, I mean, at, at the most basic level, the most brain, brain dead obvious thing that's always worth mentioning is that what you choose to cover is a voice. Exactly. Like what you pick as the top story, how you write the lead or the headline or what have you. Like all of those, all of those things are a kind of voice. But there's, you know, even with that, there's there's no way you can disappear from that. Right. And so let's let's stop pretending and make the make the personal voice just acknowledge it and say like, hi, I'm. I'm the reporter. I am writing this article, and here's why this interests me. And then strive for some objectivity in your thoughts. And that, what that involves is like openly, visibly questioning your own assumptions in the thing that you write. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's true in photojournalism, too, and in just the fun sort of uh, pseudo-photojournalism that we're all practicing now. It's like, why, you know, like, who are you? Why, not only why right. are you taking these pictures, but like, who are you? Well, this is where I put on my Roland Barth hat. Um, I think it depends. I love that hat. That's a great hat. It loves pro wrestling. Your Barth hat. I'm a Barth hat. Um, uh, I, boy, this is really douchey. But um, you know, I, it, I think it depends on who you, who you think about as your audience, because it's almost like the way you do a certain kind of line reading of exactly the same same line, you know. Can think about a word like a word that I love, a word like hello. Like how you say hello could be very funny or very serious or very grave or invoke something. So when I go hello, my family knows I'm making a joke about Project Runway. That's a Project Runway joke. Mm-hmm. You know, when I say hello, that's a different kind of hello. If I go hello, <laughs> that's a different kind of hello, right? It's all the same I word. Don't, I don't I don't want any of these hellos from you. Hello. <laughs> no, thank you. And then all the uh, all the contestants respond. So uh, that, but well, I guess what I think of, like, yes, I think most people are doing it's a thing of like what I see, and it's uh, not my opinion; it's my sensibility. I think people like showing other people what their sensibility is. Mm-hmm. Some people like, uh, you know, see, see, this is what Tumblr's so great for. Tumblr's so terrible for lots of things, but one thing it's great at is following obsessives, so or finding people who curate strange kinds of obsessions. So, like for for example, have you ever seen? Uh, rich kids on Instagram. I get forwarded that all the time. It's really, it's really funny. It's super funny, and I get forwarded it at, in reply to my contention that no one has it easy. Because I make that contention periodically. That nobody. Oh, I think has that it exactly easy. proves that person doesn't have it easy because I, they have a helicopter and seventeen watches, and they're still unhappy and have to show it to you before they feel anything. <laughs> yeah, I, that is. That's, it. It's self-evident. That's my reply too. When people are like, "No one has it easy." What about this? And they send me some picture of a kid in a in a Learjet with the with. 20 watches and i'm like do you not see that this is a very unhappy person you know so many people <laughs> refuse to accept that even assholes are unhappy so unhappy that's why they're assholes i mean you know, <laughs> it, does, pres- it doesn't hurt <laughs> present company accepted of course thank but, you uh, but, but you uh, know but but in, the, in that case yeah i'm not going anywhere with this but like you know here's the thing there are topics and there's a reason i'm not on instagram there's a variety of re- there are thousands of reasons i'm not on instagram I mean, least of which is I don't want to feel compelled to have to have my sensibility on Instagram. I think the app is weird. I think the whole environment is strange. But, you know, a big part of it is, boy, this is hopefully the ugliest thing I'll say this month. No, I don't need to see any more latte art. I'm good. Like a a dessert with one bite out of it. I get it. That's really, really (laughs) cool. 
Merlin, I hope that is the ugliest thing you say this month. <laughs> I really do. For you your should sake. hear what I've been thinking about the black. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I agree, and I don't. You know, I I went on to Instagram instead of going on to something else, and now I, you know, I like <laughs> you're I, trapped there now. Like I said the other day, like there really are only five places I go on the internet, and it embarrasses me every time I pick up my phone. Every time I pick up Jonathan Colton's phone and scroll through four hundred apps, I'm I like, thir- I have thirteen pages on my iPhone. I'm like, what am I doing with my life? I don't have any of these amazing apps. Yeah. And I think uh, when I stare at the internet and I think like I should go, I should go on the internet more and have more places where I go and do activities. Uh, but I think I do see the internet quite a bit. I think I follow, I'm a link follower. I, I, you know, I hyper, uh, I hyperlink mm. uh, from one link to another at hyper speed. And you use the uh, XHTML for that? I use XHTML, valid. Uh, which is valid. <laughs> and I, I go, I link around, and I zip, and I zap, and I see, like, 15 celebrities who married a cousin. And I see, uh, you know... Uh, <laughs> you, know you, you follow those, those uh, you might be interested in ones that take you to Zergnet via <laughs> or, to Bula? Or, yeah, paid.outbraid.ru. Uh, Zergnet's my favorite, because you click on... <laughs> I don't know. I was talking to somebody about this the other day. We both like, I don't know why I fucking clicked on this. It was, I, I don't usually do this hardly ever, but I, I <laughs> it was like something like 17 gay celebrities who played straight people. And it's like mm. Nathan Lane. You're like, wow, really? Nathan Lane is gay? <laughs> Holy shit. I can't believe it. I'm so glad I clicked on this. But you go to the Zergnet page, you get on the landing page, and you don't even see the article. You see a page of lists of articles where yours is the, the top left pick. But it's oh. like, it's, it's yeah, it's, 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 uh, listicles all the way down. Well, I, you know, I got bullied, not bullied. That's, that's sorry, trigger alert. <laughs> I got, uh, I was encouraged by my social network in real life. My, my, uh, my, I hate uh, words. I'm so fucking sick of words. My meat space social network of actual meat, meat, people made of meat. (laughs) Meat sickles that you know. Meat sickles that I know that were like, listen, uh, they said to me at the beginning of this, this football season, they were like, listen, we want you to come and watch football with us every Sunday, but, you can't just come and sit in the back and eat the food and every once in a while yell sports and spill your non-alcoholic beer. Right. We want you to sit in the sit on the couch, get engaged in the game, be part of the be part of the action. And is, I was like, is, was it kind of a second chance or a last chance like okay, we yeah. really want you here, but yeah. we got you got to play by the rules. I mean, I go I go to lots of sports events and I have a very good time at them. Mm-hmm. I, and I and I enjoy my friends that like sports. And so this was like, hey, we are friends, and this is what we like to do, and we're inviting you into our... But it's their world. It's, that's right. They're like, this is our cult. We're inviting you to church on Sunday. You don't sit in uh, in the pew at the back of the church and make fart sounds. You... <laughs> Come to church with us. That's not pious. You don't have to. You don't have to take communion. You don't have to go up and and uh, and and do uh, confession. But if you're going to come to church with us, you know, come and like sing the hymns and be a part of the scene. So I was like, okay, I do want to do that. And I went and I got in and we got involved watching the Seahawks, and and mostly watching my friends get very emotional uh, emotional about a about a, a sports event. And I was. Um, you know, I've been watching that my whole life because my dad would get very emotional about sports events. 
And I don't have a comment about it one way or the other. I'm not critiquing it at all. I'm just observing it and saying, like, here we are, and we are very upset right now. I am upset on behalf of everyone about the way that that last play was, play was handled. Mm. And I feel like that running back should have done a different thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm upset about it. I'm mad. Um, and so watching the Seahawks, I'm, I'm invested in them, and I like them. And I think Richard Sherman is smart and interesting. And I think Marshawn Lynch is very interesting. Mm. I feel like Marshawn's got a, got a lot of heart, I assume. I feel like he's a very interesting person. I think he does have quite a bit of heart. Um, and the coach, Pete Carroll, what a kook. He's really a nut. And I do feel like he's had a big effect on the team and so forth and so on. And then I watched that last game, the NFC playoff game that everybody's yelling about. Mm-hmm. And it was so extraordinary to be behind the entire game and to be demonstrably the lesser of the two teams on the field. The other team, uh, the team from Wisconsin, which is named after a meat packing job, butchers, basically. They should have mm-hmm. been called the butchers. We're, they were doing a fantastic job of playing the football game. And the Seahawks were doing a terrible job, except for Marshawn Lynch, a person I find very fascinating. And then in the 11th hour, literally the last two minutes of the game, they somehow, through a combination of moxie and hubris and sports acumen. (laughs) Why can't you do this for every game? (laughs) Rose uh, rose to victory and um, shocking the nation. And shocking anyone. People who, seem legitimately like old school, fucking blown away by what happened. It was astonishing, and to watch it in real time, particularly to watch it in a room full of diehard football people who, for the two hours prior, had been pacing around the room, throwing their, uh, you know, their seven layer dip on the floor and saying, <laughs> "This game is over. We should just turn it off." This, you know, this team had a good run and good for them, and mm-hmm. well, you know what. That's just how the cookie crumbles. And, you know, they were, they were actually speaking that way uh, about it to each other. And, and f- hilariously, I was the one sitting calmly on the couch saying, you know, the Seahawks always rally. Oh, you're like the designated optimist. Yeah, I was like, this is, they, they do this all the time. They, they're, they're behind at the half, and then they, uh, they have some miracle. And people were like not listening to me because I'm not a sports guy. They were they were ignoring me. They were talking over the top of me. And I was like, listen, you know, Marshawn's having a hell of a game, and I feel like uh, I feel like there's still a lot of game left to play. Still two minutes on the clock. I mean, and they were they were ready to turn the game off, right? And then watching the team come back and seeing the transformation, seeing new life breathed into these people, not just in the moment, but like. Their year looks different. They, wherever they are right now, these friends of mine, they are walking around feeling differently than they would have felt had they lost that football game. Like, are you, are you kind of, uh, have you sort of arrived now in their eyes? Do, they, do you get a little more credit, you think? You're only as good as your last game, but that's a pretty good one. No, they don't care. At one point, yeah. at one point the, the, we, we, were, we were completely behind. We had no points. And I said, you know what? Because there's a big buffet covered with food. And I said, you know what? No one's eaten one of those blue cupcakes yet. And uh, 
even though I am ostensibly gluten-free, I'm going to go eat one of those blue cupcakes to rally this team. Because it's this is the kind of sports thinking that happens, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's, you, like uh, it's like rally cap, you know? Yeah, exactly. You're not wearing the shoes that you wore to the last game. What are you, why are you trying to jinx us? And I was like, I'm going to go eat a blue cupcake. And I went, I grabbed a blue cupcake, I sat down, took a bite out of it. It was a terrible blue cupcake. Mm. And immediately the Seahawks scored their first touchdown oh. on a completely nutty, uh, like, fake-out play. And everybody in the room turned at me and stared at me like I had just conjured he's a, a wizard like i had just conjured a fox right? <laughs> <laughs> we were sitting uh, and suddenly there was a live fox looking for an exit and i'm just sitting there with the smug blue frosting smile on like what did i tell you and so for the for the next 45 minutes every time anything good happened on the team uh you know half the people in the room would turn and point at me and go it's the cupcake and so I can play. I can play this. I can uh-huh. play the cupcake game. But in fact, at the end, when the Seahawks won, I was given no credit for my sorcery because it was clear that it was that they had appealed to a higher level, which is to say Jesus, who cared about the like game. Like they say, there's no cupcake in team. <laughs> but what's happened to me is that that transformation on the field was so extraordinary that I actually, two days later, was sitting... Uh, you know, in my room, staring at the wall as I normally do, and a voice in my head said, "I'd, I'd kind of like to read uh, something about the Seahawks right now." Hmm. And I went and I read an account of the game written by a sports writer, and I found it very pleasurable because I saw that game and I was in, I was involved in it, and now I'm reading his thoughts on it, which comport with mine. Hmm. And then I read a lot of people in the comments and the people who are against the Seahawks said bad things. And Mm. the people who are in favor of the Seahawks said, ha ha, suck it to the, to the angry people. Hmm. And, and that comported with my feelings. Hmm. And so now having had that experience where I got a, a gratification from reading a sports article, then I was like, the next day I said, let's try that again. And I went and I read another sports article. And I also enjoyed it. And then the third day, I read a sports article prognosticating about the future of the upcoming game. How'd that go? Well, it's, you know, it's harder to know because it hasn't happened yet. That's true. So this guy's talking about sports events that haven't happened. And I had a harder time, um, you know, feeling confident and, uh, and with that one now, more than ever, now you've your third gateway here. Now you have to start forming an opinion of your own. Yeah, right. Now, I mean, apart, I, apart from what you came into it with, I have to. I mean, because I can sit there and read this article and say, like, well, Marshawn Lynch sure does uh, make a lot of plays, and uh, it's true, Richard Sherman is injured, so that affects things. Um, but um, the Patriots, uh, Tom Brady. He's a real, he makes some completions. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I don't know now. I don't know what to think. I, uh, so now all I can do is say, well, I'm rooting for them. Are you doing anything? No, they're going to the, uh, the Super Bowl, right? They're going to the Super Bowl. Now, are you invited to that? Am I invited to this? Oh, you're talking about to the Super Bowl party where yeah. we sit and watch? Yeah. I would be, except that I will be in, on a little thing called the Joe Co. Cruise. Oh, no. I'm so sorry. 
You're going to miss that. That man, that this could be your uh, this is like your uh, quinceañera of football. You know, well, a, that's a shame. But here's the thing about about footballs is that I'm pretty sure that on the day of the Super Bowl we will be able to watch it anywhere in the western hemisphere. Yeah, Paul and Storm, Amy Mann, all the usual suspects. <laughs> all sitting in the sitting in the captain's I'd watch football with Amy Mann. I, I, I don't think she'd watch it with me, but I do that in a heartbeat. Yeah, it's Amy Mann is a hard person to know whether she is like whether she decides that football is her secret passion or or she's deeply passionate about it or whether she would blow it off. Cuz Amy has uh, has uh, strange passions. <laughs> right? Like some things that you would Oh, you know what? She's very into boxing. No. Amy Mann is a sweet science. Amy Mann follows boxing religiously and is very passionate about it. I, I would not have guessed that. So, uh, and in fact, wrote an album about boxing. Hmm. It's called uh, Boxing. No, it's not. It's called something else. The Heavyweight Champion. It's called Sugar Ray Leonard. <laughs> You're just saying words. <laughs> um, so, and this is the other thing about sports. You don't realize, like, who the secret... The, there, there are all kinds of people walking around in hard hats painted in their team colors with two beers attached to the hat. Mm-hmm. The straws that you know, like, oh, that guy's a sports fan. Mm-hmm. But then there are all these people like George Will or... Uh, he's he's George, crazy with the baseball, right? Uh, crazy about baseball or yeah. Mick George Bundy or Bundy McGeorge. Mm-hmm. Sergeant uh, and, Shriver. And that's right, Sergeant Pepper. And then it turns out they're <laughs> all into sports. And you yeah. go, oh, sports, right, okay, this is a thing that you can... This is, you know, and I, now reading these sports articles, which are actually pretty well written... They're yep. not just guys uh, typing in all caps, uh, yell, yell, yell. They're talking about uh, sports as though it's, in a way, Merlin, it's like, um, it's like people that write history about war. I know. There's, they, I've heard this said for many years that, well, now I'm thinking of that Kurt Vonnegut quote where he says all the best writers at Cornell are in the science program. But I think it's pretty well understood that some of the most lively American writing of the 20th century was writing about sports. People I really admire writing about sports, not just Hunt, not just Hunter S. Thompson, but but lots of people, uh, you know, actually legitimately writing about sports. Le- writing legitimate writing about sports. Legitimate writing. I- I'm rarely surprised to find out somebody likes sports, just because that's to me that's you know it's like Bob Pollard says, thing. not like in the Beatles. That's like not like an air. You know, it's like I'm just so used to everybody being into some kind of a sport. In some league at some level, right? Even if that's, I mean, there are a lot, I have a lot of friends who are really into soccer, um, or like, you know, Premier League soccer or others. Yeah, that's one I just don't understand. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I, I could see that, but you I know, a lot of people I admire are into soccer, but I've been watching soccer games my entire life and I just feel like it's not, this is not a, this, the pace of this game is not. One you that know, I was it's, raised it's, it's to understand. Different, you know, different things. Like we watched the. Uh, I, I told you the local sports ball team here was in the, the the baseball series this year, and we watched that, and it was pretty fun. It was pretty fun. I mean, it was you know some good games and stuff, and it's nice. It's fun. You know, I got a kid. Yeah. You know, I hate basketball, and that makes me very unpopular with. What certain- is it about basketball? Well, it's that. It's that the, it just goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and you just you, you know both teams score a hundred points, and then the whole game is decided in the last three minutes by like who scores the last two points. Is it's kind of like Quidditch. Quidditch <laughs> is a very frustrating game. It feels like basketball games should be three minutes long, and they should just you know like first team to four points wins. 
See, I don't. Here's the thing I don't understand about Quidditch: is you, you can make you can make points by throwing the ball through the hoop things. And so you got all these guys running around. But then there's there's two interesting things to know. Wait, don't you have to be on a broom? That's right. That's and right. and and as I understand it now, see, I've been very. I'm only going to say this to you because I don't actually want to have this argument with somebody in the Harry Potter community. Okay. But okay. but here's the thing: as I understand Quidditch, there's two interesting rules about Quidditch that make every other rule pointless. Okay. First rule of Quidditch is that there is a don't player. Don't talk about Quidditch. <laughs> you do not talk about Quidditch Club. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm writing that one down. Yeah. Uh, is that uh, you, you got the role that uh, that Harry has, uh, which is you're the I think it's called the Seeker, and the Seeker goes after this magical thing called the uh, the Golden Snitch. Okay, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and if you get get the Golden Snitch, you know how many points you get? Uh, how many? 150. 150 points to get the Golden Snitch. Okay, that's 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 rule, important rule number one. You're ready for important rule number two. Yeah. The game is not over until somebody catches the Golden Snitch. All right. What are the other ways to score? Just onesie twosie, throw a fucking ball through a hoop like a like a like a mook. Oh, but so think the, about that. The game's so the not over until game, somebody. The, the game's game decided is, when you get the snitch. Nothing else matters. Right. So it's just a game of getting the snitch. Why bother scoring all the the other points? Here comes the owls. That's the that's the wizard version of email. <laughs> so you're gonna get. I'm gonna get you gonna, so into Harry Potter. Oh, you're gonna get mails from people who are like the whole point of fight <laughs> get the other sports is to get the blah 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 blah. But really, yeah, it's a it's a uh, it's like a winner take all situation. It's actually more of a test of character. Uh, <laughs> no, man, I am the worst. I'm the worst. It's funny you should say this though, because we talk about like you know surprised at who likes sports. Like I was not into comics for. 30 some years not against it i made fun of it a little bit but you know haha nerds reading comics and then as you know i got kind of into comics a couple years ago less super duper into it right now but now i mean you can't swing a dead cat without running into somebody who's a giant comics fan and like so many people that so i only i only say this to contrast this now to other people today given that marvel's going to have you know between marvel dc I read something, ah, I read an amazing article on Grantland. How did we get site. to talking about Marvel versus DC? Over the next three to four years, I believe, <laughs> there's going to be 70 superhero movies coming out. Oh, so no. It should be, no, it's, it's t- I mean, that's too many. Um, too but it should many. be a, a surprise to no one that people like comics now. And yet, when I hear something like, oh, thus and such person really likes comics, I'm always like, wow, that's kind of cool. I wouldn't have guessed that. Right. But it, it is kind of the literature of nerds, or D&D is another one. Like, it's it's surprising how many people were not just playing D&D, but were super into some aspect of D&D. But, you know, there's not that many shirts for adults that, about well, that. Well, and I feel like I, I, I saw this, I mean, and I, I can't speak uh, to the comics uh, experience. That's okay, I'll bring you back to Harry Potter in a minute. <laughs> but I, I remember, and I'm sure you do too, but I, I, I it, it was profoundly true here in seattle that in 1991 92 and i don't mean to always talk about punk rock but in 1991 92 everybody in seattle was scrambling to reconstruct their personal history in such a way that they had always been punk and that they were the they were the one kid in their high school that got a ton of shit for being talk about curation yeah right i mean but seriously i mean that the kind of manicured history and the and the kind of um, Stalinist uh, photo editing that makes right. it look like that time you wore a garbage bag on Punk Rock Day shows that you were a punk since you, were, you were thirteen. That you were punk the whole time. That's right. Yeah. And 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 it involved not. It wasn't. I don't think all dishonest because uh, there are a lot of people that had 
uh, had a very you know interesting childhood in the eighties, but the selective remembering of events and like you say the the one time on Halloween that they put they made a mohawk out of uh, out of shaving cream in their hair that picture became the picture that was that was on their refrigerator and was like yeah man you know back in back in Central Valley California I was one punk in my whole school and it was very important to everybody that their that they have their bona fides. Or their bona fides, depending mm-hmm. on who you want to ask. <laughs> um, all in a row, because nobody wanted to be... Because that was one of the things about punk rock, is that there was nothing uncooler than being new to the scene. Right? Because that was what a, that was what a poser was. And you didn't want to say, like, actually, I was just a total, like, a normal, like, preppy nobody. And then I decided that punk rock really meant something to me uh, uh, when it became popular. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it was ridiculous. And I remember, I remember saying, uh, at the time, like, I've been to a lot of places in America and I remember, ex- I remember exactly how many punk rockers there were in the United States in 1985. And that it was just to say, <laughs> not that many. You'd seen, you'd probably seen most of them. <laughs> I saw a lot of them because, you know, I was, I was a young person and I was traveling and I, those were small scenes and um, they were, you know, little redoubts against the culture. And it is not possible that every single person who in 2000 or in 1992 claimed to have been punk. It's not possible that they all were punk. It's not like our generation's version of claiming to be at Woodstock. Right. Or yeah. Right. Or claiming to have been on uh, there at D-Day or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I feel the same way about Dungeons and Dragons because I did play Dungeons and Dragons, but not very much or very well. I was very into D&D culture and the concept. I'm right there with you. I spent right? much more time drawing maps than anything. Oh, I drew maps and I made dungeons and I and I sat and dreamt of like how many platinum pieces I could put in the hold of the ship I was building mm-hmm. and I would walk You, you home. would do did you do encumbrance? Um what is an encumbrance? Encumbrance is where you can only carry so much stuff. It like or it affects your uh, fighting and movement speed if you're carrying more than so many pounds of stuff? No, I did not do that. I did not really follow the rules of Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> at all. Right. But I, but I poured over the but monster the lore, manual. the lore and the books and the dice and the figures and the hex paper. It's like, it was, it's so fun. Loved it. I still have my dice. I still, you know, I, I have them in a, in a special place on my mantle. I still think about those days and i you know i was profoundly invested in the idea of that magic was real and that you know and that this interesting uh sort of goulash of like medieval culture but in an alternate universe um and also it's kind of futuristic mm-hmm. that 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 is the you know that is the um Dilithium crystal that powers all of nerd culture. This like troika of influences, fantasy or alternate universe possibilities, medieval technology, but somehow also inexplicably in the future or using futuristic technology too. Loved it. I loved it. Ate it with a spoon. But I cannot honestly say to you that I in any real way played D&D. You know, because I probably played the actual game of D&D with a dungeon master and a campaign, probably played it five times. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't interested in another 
13-year-old kid <laughs> governing my journey uh, to Middle Earth. I, 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 I handled all of that in my Imaginarium. But, <laughs> but when I hear about... With your nerdamantium. <laughs> with my nerdamantium. But now, I, like I, was, I just did that Woodstock, right? And how long do you think before D- Dungeons & Dragons came up in, in, the, you know, in the meet and greet? Like within two, two, two middle parsecs. Two, two par, parsecs. And, and so I'm standing back there, and now we're all talking about Dungeons and Dragons. And I can, I because of my own personal integrity, I cannot jump in and say, "Oh, I play D and D." But I feel people do that, and I and I look at them and I go, "Did you really play? I mean, are you a fake geek girl? Is that what I'm saying? Oh boy, uh, did you really play D and D, or did right. you just did you?" Read Dune, brush up against D and D, and you know enjoy some facet of it. But yeah, I think it. No, I don't know. I disagree because I think it still counts. Because for me, I mean, I, I just because I do you think I played D and D by that by my definition? Yeah, I mean, like, but I, I mean, you were when we say play D and D. I think the thing there is like, how much did you connect with the culture? And in that case, connecting with the culture for me was whoa big time to the point where like I practically had scoliosis from carrying these five hardcover books around <laughs> school with me all the time. <laughs> Those books are heavy. They are heavy, and there's a lot to there's a lot to know. Yeah, I mean, do you know how many hit points a bugbear has? Forty. I don't know. I don't either. I'll find out. Did you just send me a link? Yeah, I sent you a link to a photo from my uh, high school yearbook, 1983. It's a photo from Punk Rock Day. Punk Rock Day. <laughs> Merlin Mann. Some some heavily heavily connected popular girls uh, dressed up in garbage bags. Oh, I have this fantastic picture from my sophomore year Halloween of the two like cutest preppy girls wearing black lipstick and, um, yeah, like... Oh man, I'd get that laminated. Garbage bag Whoa. miniskirts. Oh man, and, you can uh, rock me to sleep tonight. Oh. I've been I've been looking at it. Uh, I've been oh. looking at it for thirty five years. Garbage bag miniskirt. Oh, but my it God, doesn't it make so hot. It didn't make those girls punk. I don't care. Yeah. Oh my God. Garbage bag miniskirt. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, now, so now this is requiring that I sign into Flickr. No, no, never mind. It's not important. It's just girls <laughs> with side ponytails wearing garbage bags. You know what? Oh, now That's I'm, on, my now I'm, on, I'm, I'm on Yahoo now. How did I get here? <laughs> oh, you're, not says, a, you're not a fan. That says, sorry, there was an error. Please sign in again. And I, I would like, uh, just I like to, to say here. to anybody who has access to pictures of girls wearing garbage bags in a cute way, I think that would make a great Tumblr. I'm just going to toss it out there. Pictures of like <laughs> cute girls like, and garbage preppy, preppy not, girls, not dead girls. That's super important, guys. Is, they have to be cute, perky girls you would not normally expect to wear a garbage bag. Wearing a garbage bag in a in a, in a sweet and winsome way. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? I would watch that. I'll tell you some other ones I like a lot. Before we get back to Harry Potter, um, so this Yahoo. What is Yahoo? Why is it still there? I want to just see the they picture. Own, I don't they, want to, they, they bought Flickr like 15 years ago. I don't want to interact with Yahoo. Don't, don't, just don't, just put it away. Just put all it right. away. All right, all right. Um, Craigslist mirrors. It's a tumbler oh, yeah. of nothing but photos of mirrors that people have posted on Craigslist, and they are endlessly fascinating. Have you ever been fooled by? Have you ever gone and looked at an ad in uh, Craigslist or on YouTube? Or on uh, uh, eBay, and it's, it turns out that it's a guy taking a picture of his uh, his dongle 
in the reflection of... I, I saw the famous photo of the man in the teapot, or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. I saw the famous one from a very, very, very long... One of the first memes, I remember, was a picture of a, of a sort of a stout man taking a picture of a teapot for eBay, and you could clearly see his dingus. That I remember. Mm-hmm. Are you saying this is a thing? Is this like a sexy thing? It is a thing. I have, I've actually looked at an ad for a thing and then realized I felt weird. Oh, come and on. Then, you think it happens? Like, it happens? You, like, yeah, you see and then it? Saw, then saw a, 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 in the reflection of a hubcap or something, a guy in a... In a... Um, a posing jock? <laughs> in a, yeah, like in a, in a posing uh, banana hammock. <laughs> That would uh, that would put me off my beer. Woo! But the, then now there again, you just nailed another one, which is it's very difficult to take pictures of some things without having yourself in it. And I know that no matter how how hard I try, what people are going to notice most is they're going to examine me in the picture of the thing that I. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I I, I didn't realize until I posted it the other night when I posted a picture of the uh, bell getting ready to do our show that my I, of course my reflection is in it and oh you know, uh, see. I was clothed, you know. I was be, I was be shirted. I wear I wear clothes all the time, so it's not a problem. I I wonder about this because I enjoy this. I enjoy selfies, but I also and and I think that I am vain. But I also have a. I don't, pretty- wait, wait, the, hang on a minute. I think you just broke my programming. I'm going to try and unpack the statement. I think I'm vain. I think I'm vain. I'm I mean, self-involved to realize how self-involved I am. But but uh, but I also have a very clear-eyed picture in uh, of like what I actually look like and what where that where that falls. You know, like I don't think that I am beautiful. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, you know, just selfies. Like it just, back before they had a name, it was just always a picture of a girl taking a picture of herself in the bathroom mirror. And like, it just became like a thing. And like, like a cute girl taking a picture of herself in the bathroom mirror. The only thing that made me like those photos much more than today's modern selfies are that, yes, they were less sort of um, contrived, but also they look at the lens. The thing I can't, I, the thing that drives me nuts that I, and somebody's going to have to explain this to me someday. I don't understand why all selfies, including celebrity selfies, are prim, primarily of somebody chimping at their own camera while they take a picture. What does that like, mean, chimping? Oh, like when you're looking at the preview of the uh, of the thing. When you're so like instead of taking a picture of yourself, looking into the lens. Oh, and, you're looking at yourself. It's looking a picture at yourself. of yourself looking at your camera, taking a picture of you. I can't. I I don't understand that either. I, but I that think that's a thing. I think that's maybe that's part of the allure. Is that they're looking at themselves in a kind of, see, now we're back to Roland Barthes. Now we're, shoot, I think we're down to Sashura at this point. Now <laughs> you're looking at a picture of yourself in a mirror, looking at a picture of yourself on oh, your phone, and then yes. you put that up. Oh, yes. I think I, I think I agree with you. I find that hotter for some reason. <laughs> In the sense, in the sense that for, for a long time, here's me looking at me, looking at me, looking at me. For the, for a long time, the only thing I found uh, erotic about porn movies was that moment in every porn movie where the actress can't help but look at the camera. There's oh, like, yeah. there's this, there's there's always a, there's always a moment where she is either saying like, "Are you getting this?" or just like, she just can't. She just breaks the fourth wall. And that was always the moment that made the mm. kind of that 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 brought the whole because the fantasy of like 
I'm just a guy delivering pizzas and whoa. Yes. Hello, ladies. Like I could never, I was never invested in any of those fantasies. I'm talking about uh, to, to, to our young listeners who do not um, understand what I am talking about. Yeah, like, I'm talking I've never about seen time, actual, actual porn. Yeah, a time before contemporary porn when it was actual feature length movies that purported to have a plot where uh, people had unlikely sex. There would be a lot of business negotiations gone wrong. Yeah. Misunderstandings people, about money. People come in and, the, the, you know, like the someone comes in to take dictation. Mm-hmm. Oh, someone sure, go- dictation. You got yeah. pro- problems with Dynacobble. You might mm-hmm. want to get the cable fixed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A guy's sitting at a bar, uh, the bartender, uh, and he are there alone, and things get a little out of hand. A lot of a lot of it seems to involve women needing a favor. Oh, right, right. But it or all kind of works out doctor. because they like intercourse with strangers. And I feel like there was that moment in the eighties when all of a sudden it was not the lady going to the boy doctor, but it was the boy going to the lady doctor. Real mm. little switcheroo, little feminist like uh, like uh, inversion of your expectations. Yes, but all of those plots were uh, not very interesting, and and and. What was interesting were those moments where the boom mic came into the shot, mm-hmm. or or one of the uh, one of the people just for a second glanced right into the camera, and it was like, right, this is being made. This movie is being made in a motel room, in um, you know, like probably four blocks from where the Tonight Show is being filmed, and. And that is interesting to me, or, you know, that was interesting to my young libido, in a way, my young sense of what was Because it's not your full-on POV kind of shot, but, no, but uh, it does dull. give you the, uh, you, the reader, a little bit of insight. Right. She just kind of looked, she, she didn't, she wasn't aware of looking at me. She was almost looking at her own reflection in the lens of the, of the 35 millimeter film camera Mm -hmm. that is recording this for posterity. Mm -hmm. But I do feel like that you're right, that that looking into the phone, pointing it into the mirror, that there's something erotic being communicated there. Yeah. Yeah. Semiotic. 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 Semi, semi (laughs) semiotanium. Now, how does that uh, relate back to Quidditch? Uh, It's not important. I mean, I I got into an argument with somebody on the internet the other day where she said something to the effect of she was trying to make common cause with me and said something like, blah, 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 something from Harry Potter universe. Am I right? Mm. And I was like, you didn't get the reference. I didn't get the reference and I didn't get why she thought I would. And I was like, I don't, you know, Harry Potter doesn't. I'm not even doing, see, I'm, I'm such a crappy nerd. I mean, I'm, I have friends that are so much more successful nerds You're than I am. You're a pretty good nerd. No, I'm not. I do it wrong. I mean, I don't do it. I don't do the nerdy stuff in the right nerdy way. I'm late to a lot of it. And I've done, as, a, uh, as an observer of the Harry Potter community, I, I've, I'm living the unthinkable. Which is what? The unthinkable is I have not read the words in a whole Harry Potter book ever. What? Really? Even I, lo- I have. I love the movies and I love the audiobooks, but I I did not read any of the books when they were out. Whoa. And I got into it cuz my daughter and I said I said to my daughter, "Hey, let's try this Harry Potter thing." She was really scared at first. Came back a few months later, she ate it with a spoon, and like this past summer, we watched a Harry Potter movie every day. So wow. I've seen all whatever seven or eight of them, multiple I've seen the third one many, many, many times. I've seen this, the final one many, many times. Seen, 
I've seen all of them except a couple at least four times, probably. See, now, I have never seen a Harry Potter movie. Oh, they're delightful. But I did read all the books one time. What? Uh, because I was locked in the brig of a transatlantic ship, and uh, that was all that was there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, was the, this... The was captain this some had a secret work you were doing. The captain had a, uh, a, a I would say, a pretty inflexible uh, idea of what constituted a mutiny, and so I ended up in the brig, and there were Harry Potter books in there, and I was like, "Well, I'm here for a while." Okay, this, for the first time in months, I'm on the side of the listener right now. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of you being in a brig having to read books about wizards. <laughs> I was in. I was a. a effectively in a brig i was just in were a place you having a, were you having a timeout i was having a timeout and there was nothing to do uh except for uh that that inexplicably all the harry potter books were in this place they're really long they're well yeah they're long but they're a quick read Oh, they, 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 they're, they're i think they're very well i mean i've read a lot of the first one and we listen to the audiobook usually from number two uh Pretty much every day, we pick a section. You know, chapter six, Gilderoy Lockhart. Chapter seven, my blogs and yeah. So, but we we've I've heard I've heard them and and I've read some of the books and they are a real page turner. I get why they were a phenomenon. Yeah, and they're dark. Yeah. The things the, the what I will tell you is the the books are I think a good deal darker than the movies by and large. I you know, but uh, but they're still. Like kids' books or but or the kids should have books. dark stuff. It's like my friend Guy English said. I was I was like talking about how like I felt really bad that I've been I, as far as I know I've been pretty good about not horribly scarring my kid with media. I, she's seen a lot of shit she shouldn't see. She's seen tons of PG thirteen movies. There's all kinds of stuff. There's only like four things that have ever really scared her. Yeah, and uh, one of them for a while was the Daleks in uh, Doctor Who. My friend Guy, who's from Canada, is like, that there is a rich tradition. Like, every little kid, every adult in England is still scared of Daleks because they were scared of them when they were little. Don't feel bad. You know? Well, right. Think about the Brothers Grimm. Think about what we, I mean, we've he always. literally tore himself in two. <laughs> we've always given kids the grossest and scariest stories. But, you know, I think about it having a child. The first time she, the first time my daughter asked me about death, was not very long after she started talking. I mean, she, she's pro- a she's an early and lively talker, right? Yeah, a, a early and lively talker. But but after she started properly talking and asking questions, it was very early on. Like, you know, where do you go when you die? What is death? Why? What What are these? You know, she she uh, she's very interested in graveyards. <laughs> And when you think about it, driving around, it's like, well, yeah, it's very interesting. What the fuck is that? All you have to do is look out the window and say, like, well, this area of town is very different from everywhere else. Well, it's you know, a- sex is the famous one of, like, you wonder what it's like and speculate about all the different levels of how whatever that thing is works. Mm-hmm. But I, I think death, the death and burial process can't be too far behind. There's a lot of levels to go on, like, wait a minute. So there's a body in the ground? How did the body get in the ground? Like, is it just sitting there? Well, no, it's in a box. A box? Yeah, it's a really expensive box you buy. It's got grass on it. <laughs> Hang on, wait a minute. Well, no, you get to see them right before they die. They have this little, uh, they put them in a box with Dutch doors, and you get to look at them wearing lots of makeup, and then they put them in the ground. 
Right. It's like oh, there's wait, so or, many levels. Or you run the box into the fireplace and it burns them up and turns them into ash and they're, and in, the you, bu- uh, they're in this bucket here. <laughs> this one here. This one on the mantelpiece. There it is. There's grandma. The thing is, I mean, at least in my experience, uh, my daughter doesn't have any... She is not curious about any aspect of sex. That all seems to make perfect sense. Daddy put a baby inside a mommy. Next. <laughs> but the question of, like, where is your daddy? Well, my daddy is dead. How did your daddy get dead? Well, everybody gets dead eventually. Okay. How? And, and that is like, I mean, what do we have to talk about really as human beings? Other than that, it's still fascinating. Absolutely. I, I still wonder where my daddy goes when he it gets dead and how you get dead. And with every passing day, I am more and more interested and also less and less interested in how you get dead. And so she, and, and the idea that, because I think my instinct when she first asked, like, like I did the Terminator scroll on my heads up display, like, <laughs> think of an answer, think of an answer. What are you going to say? What do you say? And then it was immediately clear to me that like, what do you mean? What do you say? There's no, you're not faking her out. You're not trying to camouflage something from her because you know about as much about it as she does. That's right. Like, where do you go when you get dead? Yeah, Why? like what, what what I mean, like what real consolation can you give that isn't a blatant lie? Yeah, right. And what is and why would why would I even introduce the idea that there was some consolation for it? Like, well, honey, I mean, I mean, not to be obvious, but don't you don't want her to become overly morose or scared, right? Right. But I mean, I don't, I don't know. I think the the way that you get overly morose or scared is that you that you ask a simple question, which is how do where do you go when you get dead, and then you watch everybody around you freak out. About oh, I know. To think I, of an that's answer. something I, I I work so hard at that, and I, I get it right maybe ten percent of the time. Is trying to like go. Wait a minute, stop. Don't editorialize. Don't preach. And don't feel like you have to try and teach a lesson. You can right. just say what it is. That smell is pot, and our neighbors are smoking it. Yeah. And that's this, what that is. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's like it's like alcohol. You know, it's a drug. Yeah. And when you smell that, that's what that is. That's pot. Any other questions? Yeah, Whereas that's I, right. probably twenty five years ago, I, if I were the same age, you know, and so forth, I would have done it really differently. I would have had a lot more like admonishments and like, you know, really open up like saying, oh, well, they're breaking the law or they're hurting their bodies or something like that. Yeah. We had one uh, the other day. She ran away in a store, and it was a situation where she was standing right next to me. And I was looking at a thing on a shelf, and then I looked down and she was gone. Oh, God. And I was like, ooh, ooh, this is the first time this has happened. And I went and I found her mom, at, who was also in the store, and the, she hadn't gone to her mom. She was completely AWOL. Officially out of sight. Right. So I run to the front first door First time of that the happens, store. man, there is nothing like it. Yeah, it was no good. I ran to the front door of the store and stood facing into the store from the front door, basically in... Um, like RoboCop mode, <laughs> full on Code Adam mode. Yeah, and uh, her mom, you know, made the the rounds and found her in the shoe department wearing a pair of giant furry pink fuzzy slippers <laughs> with another with like three more pairs of shoes in her arms. Not not mm. not trying to buy them or bring them to show them to us, but just like it, just basically having like a shoe. Just the earliest stages of like shoe fetish. And in talking to her about it, I was like, you can't go, you can't do that. You can never leave daddy without saying 
where you're going. You can't just run away. Mm-hmm. And I remember being given the same talk in the 70s. And then, and at the time, uh, people struggling to explain why. Because there are bad men. And there are, you know, and, and then the concept of bad men got introduced into my head. And I was like, well, what happens with bad men? And I was like, well, bad men sometimes... Um, Sometimes drive Volkswagens with a missing passenger seat and ask you for help putting their canoe on the roof. Right. And then they end up having sex with your dead body in the forest for two weeks. And I was like, okay, that was not what I needed to hear when I was seven years old. And as I was looking at my daughter, I was like, you know who needs to know why? Not you. The answer is don't ever do it. That's the end. You don't, there, there is no, I understand why you're asking why. And the answer is, you don't need to know. Right. The, all you need to know is don't ever do that again. And, you know, it's amazing how, how much they accept that because that is actually true. Right? That isn't just, that's not some play, parent jujitsu I'm playing. It actually is true. You do not need to know why. You just need to not do that. And there are so many things that fall into that category. And my instinct as an over-explainer is like, Why? Well, let me explain. When humans first came off the savanna, they tamed dogs to help them hunt. And it's just like, but no. It, I, I'm with you. It's, it, to me, it's a, uh, it's a very revealing exercise. It's like any kind of, you know, sort of exercise like that where you have to do something within constraints. You know, like, for, yeah. for example, I remember being a little kid and when you are taught how when you define a word, you can't use the word in the definition. And that suddenly seems impossible. You know, when you huh. first try to do that, <laughs> right? Where you're like, well, well how could I? Uh, what do you mean? What is green? It's because well, then it's uh, not. Green. If, if you use the word in it, then it's not really a definition. And it's like, wow, you just blew my mind. And for me, that's like uh, all, every level you're talking about, and probably even more for me, where it's like, how do I keep? How do I just factually say what this is to answer the question without having to like over-engineer why it's the way it is, how it's the way it is, or very importantly here, what culture you should, what kind of like feeling you should have about it. I try really hard to explain things without overly putting my opinion on it, which is something left to my own devices. I'll have a clever remark that might stick with her forever about how now this is a dumb thing that you don't need to ever think about. And it's like, no, I don't want to do that. Like, I want to just describe it as a thing and then try to keep all that stuff. And if she has questions, she'll ask. Yeah. And I think it's really hard. The, the hardest thing for any of us is to say the, the, the really big questions none of us have any answers for and all answers are pretend. You know, that we don't know anything about why. Right. There is no answer. And the, and the biggest question is why do we ask why? It is it's so clear that there isn't an answer and yet we crave an answer to that mm-hmm. question. And that is a fascinating thing. And that says everything there is to say about humans. But to say like, I do not know why none of us know why every single institution you see on the face of the earth is in some small portion built to try and give a convincing answer uh, as to why. And they are all pissing up a rope. <laughs> So there are so many industries, businesses, philosophies, schools that like there's an entire like giant part of our actual and intellectual economy that is wound up in trying to find some satisfactory answer to a an essentially unanswerable question. Right. And I think what most of us do is we 
put together a, a, a long string of causal whys, right? This is why that, and this is why that, and this is why that. It's the, you know, it's a version of the, the mechanistic view of the universe, all looking for the uncaused cause, all looking for the thing that is at the end of this chain of demonstrable whys. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just, turtles all the way down mm-hmm. right it's yep. just but you can stack as many whys that you can answer in a row as you want but it ultimately arrives at there is no why and i mean we we had a lot of fascinating talks on our uh, on our trip to africa because david reese kept bringing up the question of a manned flight to mars and he asked everybody that we met if you were given a chance to be on a one-way trip to mars like a settler's voyage to Mars, would you take it? And I thought it was an interesting question, and I was astonished at the number of people, and it shouldn't have been astonishing because we were talking to people in the military, but the number of people that just instantly said, absolutely. Wow. Absolutely, I would go on a a one-way manned mission to Mars. And, And David just like day after day was just blown away until he until he had to stop being blown away because it was happening so often among enlisted men among officers men and women would you go on an unmanned or on a on a one-way trip to mars yes that would really be the big game for somebody in the military you know get the big leagues yeah oh for sure but but ultimately it was a personal question and it was down to the fact that most of the most of the people that we met shared in some way a utopian spirit of humanity and that exploration and and expansion and colonization of space seemed to all of them to be as close to a why as they could come up with, right? It, there is no, in, in absence of the answer, in absence of an answer to the question why, all you can do is explore and then go out. And David was like, but it makes no sense. Like, why, why, why would you go out and do that? Like, that's a, all this money and resources to go do what? Nothing. Like, we could be using that, uh, that money in, uh, to make a, a, a garden planet, and everybody just stared at him blankly, myself included, because I am a person that believes in spaceflight and believes in exploration and, and feel like we will not in our lifetimes have an answer to any of this. We will not know for 10,000 years. But, but I can't think of another, I can't think of a better purpose. It's like even if you don't, like increasing numbers of interesting people seem to say that we're going to have to look beyond our planet you know, potentially for survival or for thriving. But, you know, even if you don't necessarily believe that yet, it's just, it's just still that basic idea that, like, this is what we do. Like, in right. some ways, if there's any, back to this, that hard, impossible question, like, why are we here? Well, we're, we're here to find out something we don't know yet. Yeah. You it's know? encoded. And, it's encoded in us. And, and if, there, if there's any proof of anything, the fact that we keep asking why about everything is like, is why we're here to keep asking why and to go out and ask why in further and further places and in larger and larger scales. At least it seems to me. 
And so when, you know, when I'm talking to my kid and she's like, well, why? I'm like, yes, exactly. <laughs> and, and I, you know, and what I'll do, what I can do is the more that you're capable of understanding, I can break down the, the, the five prevailing theories and give you that to chew on because I, because my whole life and the, and the great pleasure I get out of life is in asking why and trying to answer why and sitting up at night and, you know, like, and chewing on ideas and going like, but, 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 ah, mm, ah, you know, and what does that gain me? It doesn't gain me anything, but it's, but it's irreversible in me. And I hope it is in her. I wish it, I wish that upon her because it's been the great joy of my life to, to, to look at everything and ask why and, and not ask why with any expectation of an answer, but just the thrill of the, the next the, question. Of the next question and the, and the manned mission to Mars. That's, a, that's interesting. That's an interesting distinction. I wouldn't want to make too fine a distinction, but like, it seems like there are people who are asking questions because they want to know the answer. Some people want to know an answer, and some people just want to know what the next interesting question is. What the next question is. And ultimately, I think it's a question of scale. Like, as you ask questions, you invariably go either up or down in scale. And you follow a, a thread of questions, you're like, well, now I need to know more detail. Well, now I need to get to the, you know, get to the underlying question. Or you're like, now I have the context. Now I'm scaling up and I'm asking how this, how that, that, uh, answer that seems pretty satisfactory, how that works across a, a big scale. And this was the thing that happened with Einstein and it happened with physics in the 20th century. It's like, okay, this is a great theory and it works great here. Now, how does it apply to gravitation? And if it doesn't apply to gravitation, then it isn't a complete theory of physics. And that, you know, imagine being Einstein and being like, oh, fuck, you know, like it works, but it isn't the, it isn't the big why. It's, it's, you know, if you had to boil down of all the many reasons why it's kind of sad that we're not doing the space program, one of them is that it clearly seems to show that, you know, we have our reasons and it's expensive. It doesn't have a clear goal in mind. You know, it, Velcro is great, but like, we don't know what the next thing's going to be. But like, it would be so nice to find a slush fund just for saying like, well, this is just a thing we need to do. It's like I say to my daughter, you know, we don't, we don't have a lot of money, but I'll always try and find money for books and art supplies. Like yeah. those are two things where we'll try and find something to always, you get you can have books and you can have art supplies because those, you can do anything with those, you know? And with the space program, it's like, who knows what we're missing out on? You know, and it doesn't even need to be like, you know, Tang or, or Velcro, but like who, we don't even, we, there's no way to even know. We have glimpses of what we're, as we learn more, we can see a little bit of what we might be missing out on. But like, and it's just, it's a bummer to know that in our lifetime, we're probably not going to see much progress on that. Well, it is a bummer, except that our friend Elon Musk is, if there's anything that it excites me uh, to see privatized any big state operation that excites me to see privatized it is space exploration because like every other every other thing that used to be the um the purview of like a state structure like a government large government structure that has been privatized it's invariably a resource extraction 
or um, an administration issue, right? That we decide that we're going to privatize um, and let the free market handle. And invariably, it just leads to uh, what well, leads to the world that we're living in now, where 50% of the 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 uh, the wealth of the world is owned by one percent of the people, but something like space travel, where these guys are privatizing it on their own, f- out of first of all just the fact that they're geeks and have a boner for space, mm-hmm. and like if Elon Musk goes up with his uh, his dumb bubble plane and discovers that there are asteroids made out of solid gold, God bless him, um, but I don't think that's why he's doing it. Mm-mm. And I think that maybe we will see tremendous progress in uh, space exploration just because uh, because Jeff Bezos is sitting there going, I'm a bankrupt person and I have no, um, <laughs> there is no reason for me. I am, I am like snail slime. <laughs> you but, don't like that guy. <laughs> but I'm worth billions of dollars and I'm a nerd. What should I do? Build rockets. Mm-hmm. It's the ultimate penis. Bigger than a spaceship. Or I'm sorry, bigger than a skyscraper. You can build a flying penis. You can build a boner to the stars. A boner to the stars. You can literally fuck the sky. <laughs> if you have enough billions of dollars, and that's what these guys want. They are, they, I mean, that's what skyscrapers are, right? They're like rich guys trying to fuck the sky. But you can, <laughs> you can build a, a, a penis that flies. And that, I mean, talk about answering the question, why? The answer is flying penis. <laughs> it's right there. <laughs> All right, that's good. 